Brother. Thank you, Bob. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Now, I bring greetings from uh, my wife, Bernadette, and our four children. Uh, I also bring greetings from your men who are at the uh, men's retreat. And uh, when I came uh, last night, when we left, I promised that I'll bring greetings to you. Uh, some of you have your uh, spouses, your fathers, your uncles over there. And I want to tell you that uh, uh, some of the, uh, most of those men, we discussed things. We actually uh, agreed on something. And uh, this is going to shock you. When these men come back, they will come back pregnant. Yeah, pregnant. They are expectant. Now, not only did, they, did we eat too much, <laughs> but actually they are pregnant because God is giving them a vision. One of the things that we're talking about is as men who follow Christ, we need to have a vision. We don't just need to live in the church like we are aimless. Men need to have a vision not only for their families, but also for their communities, for the communities around them, whether it's Trenton or New Jersey or New York. We need to have, as men of, of Christ, as disciples, we need to have a vision. God must give us a vision. God must make us pregnant. You know, my wife and I have four children, and, and I remember when she was pregnant, every time she was pregnant, I was pregnant too. In fact, I was telling her, I, I'm tired. We need to, we need, this baby needs to be born. And she would say, are you sure you are really also you know, struggling? She say, yeah, I'm sweating so much. You know, I don't know if anyone of us ladies, if uh, when we have a baby, you want to go to extend from nine months to 11 months. Anyone of you? No, I see my sister, Diane, is saying, no, no, no. Just baby, come. You know? You know, so is the vision. When God gives us a vision, my friend, we need to deliver. We need to get out. And, and so, ladies, when your men come, and they tell you they are pregnant, don't make their babies die. Help them to carry the baby. Help them and encourage them. What's the vision? In fact, if they don't share with you, because I'm giving you the secret, ask them, are you pregnant? The preacher said you are coming pregnant. What is the baby? And encourage them. And encourage them to see, is God speaking to my husband about something new? A vision for our family. A vision for our witness, our, our vision for the church, our vision for the kingdom of God. So men, husband, brothers are coming back pregnant, so help them to carry the pregnancy. Now, uh, Ben and the team, worship team, give them a clap. <laughs> it's like they read all my notes. In fact, I feel to dismiss you to go home because the songs, the worship, the truth, the music, everything expresses who we are, who we should be. You see, this morning, as I was thinking about what we are going to share, I was thinking about the songs, you know, the cross, the wonderful cross. It bids us to die so that we can truly live. I mean, that's the truth. So when you think about God and his mission, you think about reconciliation, the cross and the reconciliation. 
You see, if we were to ask Paul about the Great Commission, Paul will not probably talk to you about the, uh, the Matthew passage. Probably Paul will tell you that is Great Commission, but the question is, how do you live out after you have been made a disciple? You see, because most of the people, Christians in America, in Africa, we don't actually have, we don't know how to live after we have been made disciples. And in fact, many of us don't live like disciples. And so Paul will tell you, you know, I want to tell you that disciples, disciple making, the whole plan of God is reconciliation. When we want to tell the people all over the world about the gospel and make them disciples, we are telling them to be reconciled with God. So reconciliation is the mission of God. Everything we are all about, everything that the gospel is all about, is about reconciliation. Because that's what the cross is. The cross is about reconciliation. It is about dying so you can live. But it also is so that you live for something else, bigger, greater than yourself. It's not only to reconcile us to our Father, but also with the horizontal reconciliation. But I want us to join me. I want you to join me in reading 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, and uh, I know that uh, last week, or I mean a few weeks ago, uh, one of the preachers shared with you from this text. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we read it from verse 17, thank God. If you don't have a Bible, please get one, because we are going to look at this text, we are going to look at these verses, we are going to look at what does it mean for us to be disciples of Christ. What does it mean for us to be men and women who have been reconciled? What does it mean for us for men and women who have moved from being enemies of God to become friends of God? So Paul begins, actually, if you were to begin, he begins verse 17 by saying, therefore. Now, of course, you have to read verse 11 to verse 16 to know what is therefore. And that's, I believe, what the uh, other preacher a few weeks ago preached about discipleship. Why are we here? So in verse 11, 12 through 16, Paul was telling the Corinthians that we have been changed and God has changed the way we see people. We don't see people as we used to see them. We see people as disciples. Our eyes are eyes of disciples. We see people as disciples. We live with them. We make disciples. And so our lifestyle, everything that exists is disciples making disciples. And so Paul comes then to verse 17. He says, now excited. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Now, you speak English. I don't. I just tried to learn English when I was too old to learn a new language. What the Paul says, if anyone, so you English speakers, what's the meaning of anyone? Jeremy, what is anyone? I can't hear you, man. Everyone. Are you sure? What, is that what it means? Now, does it mean a black man like me from the bushes of Rwanda? Now, I need answer when I ask a question. Yes? Does it mean an American white or pink like some of you? <laughs> because you are not white. White is white. 
So when Paul says anyone, it means whether you are born in America or in the bushes of Rwanda, whether you are born in the hospital or in the uh, hidden corner of the cornfield in Rwanda like myself. Anyone, women, men, Gentile, anyone in Christ, you are a new creation. So Paul is actually excited. He's excited. I can see him. Anyone in Christ, a new creation. Amen? Amen. You see, Paul is excited because when things have changed, he is so excited that he's saying, anyone in Christ, a new creation. Anyone in Christ, a new creation. So he's telling us there is a change. There is a change because we have moved from enmity of God to friends of God. So he begins by saying, anyone in Christ is a new creation. So Paul begins by saying, there is a change in our identity. We were enemies. Our new identity, we are now Christians. So he says, anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. So you see, the first thing that we need to learn from this passage, that God in his grace as the mission of reconciliation, as reconciliation, God intends, God's plan, God's whole plan is that we become reconciled. But this reconciliation requires change in our status. Change in our status. Reconciliation means change from enmity to friendship. The Bible tells us that when we were all sinners, in fact, we were all enemies of God. And God changed this status from being enemies, we have become friends. And Paul says, if anyone, therefore, wherever you live, whether you live in the, car, in the uh, jungles or in the cities, when the people meet as Christians, those who are meeting under the tree in South Sudan, there are people today who met under the tree, you are, they are actually done because they are 90 hours ahead of us. Many of them are done. But they met under the tree in that part of the jungle of South Sudan. But anyone under that tree in Christ, he is a new creation. Some in the Nuba Mountains, they met this morning under the rocks, in the caves, because they are under persecution. They are hiding in the caves, but where they met to pray this morning, where they were, anyone in Christ in those caves, anyone in Christ, he or she is what? A new creation. And those who meet in this beautiful sanctuary, anyone in Christ here is what? A new creation. It doesn't matter where you worship, where you were born. If you have become a believer, if you have said yes to Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. You are no longer the enemy of God. The new has come. You are now a new. You have acquired a new identity. Now, one of the problems we have as Christians everywhere is we do not understand that we have acquired the identity that supersedes any other identity. You see, in my country of Rwanda, men and women, 1994, murdered each other, Hutus and Tutsis, even those who were in the church together, because of lack of teaching, because of not knowing the biblical truth, because they didn't have people to disciple them. Their identity in a tribe was more important than their Christian identity. 
That's why believers killed each other based on the tribe. In fact, I have been in the U.S. I have lived in the U.S. for the last 18 years. I have met people who, in America who say, I am a white first, I am a black first, then I am a, a Christian second. Worse. I am a, a Republican, I am a Democratic, I am whatever first, then Christian second. You see, when we make that kind of identity our identity, my friends, we have forgotten who we are in Christ. So our Christian identity must supersede any other identity. And when this happens, when we grasp this, the rest will become easier. And that's why Paul begins by saying, in reconciliation, God's plan for reconciliation is to give us a new identity. And then we operate in this new identity. But he goes on to say now, this, verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, Paul says reconciliation requires changes, but it can only happen through the cross of Christ. Reconciliation is the objective work of God through Christ. Reconciliation cannot happen by any other means. You see, in many parts of the world, in many parts of the world, people seek salvation through other means. People want to relate to God through other means. In my home country, in Rwanda, people worship the ancestors because they believe you offer sacrifices to the dead, and then the dead can speak to you, can help you to speak to the supreme being by offering the blood of chickens and goats and sheep. Then you can speak. To the supreme being, you offer sacrifices so that your dead ancestors then will be your mediators to God. That's how I was brought up. And in fact, that's how I was raised up. When I was raised up, I was born in this family. My mother had no children for nine years, and everybody believed she was a cursed woman. And she believed that the curse was by the ancestors, and so for the rest of my life, when I was born, she dedicated me to be the priest, and so I offered blood of chicken, blood of animals, blood of cows and goats to the dead so that they can speak to the spoon being on my behalf, and hopefully we can have life. But we didn't have life. We didn't have life because only life is through Christ. And in fact, things became even worse. Because despite all my efforts to offer sacrifices for myself, for my brothers, for my family, I saw my sister die when she was two weeks old. And I was 11 years old, and I was told she died because I failed to offer sacrifices on her behalf. At that young age, I didn't know who was going to die next. I didn't know how I would do to please the dead because I could not speak to them. I could only offer the blood of chicken behind this our house, the blood of goats, the sheep. In fact, we were becoming poorer and poorer every week as I offered animals. The little we had, I was offering to the dead. That's what they believe. They believe salvation can only happen when we offer sacrifices to the dead. And so Paul says, no. Blood of bulls, like the Old Testament, blood of animals in Africa, or blood of 
Anything or money or riches cannot get you reconciled with God. It is only through the cross and by the cross. And so God's telling us, my friends, that Jesus on the cross, he made it possible for us to be reconciled. And this is how he did. In fact, verse, um, end of verse 18, he says, Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So on the cross, listen what happened. On the cross, God stopped counting men's sin against them. So this is the picture of the, the cross. On the cross, each one of us had a clock that was ticking. Every sin you committed, God was counting. Even Diane is seen, Diane. You know that there was a clause called Diane. I like the name tag. <laughs> Mr. Red. Is it Red? Reed. Amy. I know Jeremy. Nicole. Amy. Chris. All of you. Each one of you had a clock. And the Bible is telling us everyone, each one of us, sins were being counted in heaven. Some of you had millions. Some of us had millions of sins. But on the cross, the Bible says, on the cross, when Christ died, God stopped counting sins against us. So the needle stopped. The ticking stopped. And in fact, it not only stopped, the ticking, the needle reversed and erased all our sins. Praise the Lord. You see, on the cross, God did something that nobody else in our life can do. He did not only stop counting the sins, but even the past sins, he erased them because of the cross. So Paul says it is only possible that Christ on the cross, when he died, our sins were not counted anymore, but our sins were forgiven. You see, Reconciliation means giving up, giving up the right to revenge. And in fact, God gave up the right to be right at that moment. And so when you stop counting the sins of people, what are you doing? You are actually doing forgiveness, isn't it? Forgiveness. On the cross, we're forgiven because God stopped counting men's sin against them. That's why we have trouble in our families, in our homes, in our communities, between the Hutus and Tutsis, between the black and the white, between all these tribes, between families, is because we are always counting the sins of our neighbors, of our spouses, of our children. We are always counting the sins, and the moment we stop counting the sins, we begin the process of forgiveness. Are we together? That's what God did for us. He forgave us by not counting the sins but even by erasing the sins, the accusations that were pinned on the cross, the, I mean the accusations that was pinned on God's wall, where all the clocks were ticking, everything was erased. In fact, we began the process when the enemy goes to God and says, God, can you see, Celestine, can you see Joe, what Joe is doing? God says, not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. My friend, what's your name? Colin? Not guilty. 
You see, God in his grace counted us not guilty. Just because of the cross. You see, reconciliation is the mission of God. It begins by making sure our identity is changed. Making sure that we require a new identity. Making sure that change happens. We are no longer enemies. We have changed from enmity to friendship of God. So we can see we are friends of God. Who made it possible? The cross, the blood of Christ was shed so that you can sing we are friends of God even when you are born in sinners like me. So everything that we are about is about rejoicing. Now Paul says something else that actually makes us to realize why we are here. Paul says... Because of what has happened, because of the cross, because we have changed from enemy to friendship, because Christ made it possible for us to be friends, for us to be reconciled, our sins are no longer counted against us. We just walk in the holiness of God. Of course, we begin a new life. We don't live like pigs. We live like those who are saved. And then he says, now, we are therefore, another therefore, verse 20. We are therefore what? Christ's ambassadors. As as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteous of God. Now Paul is saying, look, my friends, I want to tell you why reconciliation is the mission of God. He begins by saying, we get to be changed from enemies to friends, to children. Because Christ's blood makes it possible. And then he says, I want to tell you why when you are saved, you are not beamed up. You know, the movie, the Star Wars, eh? You know, even though we are in Africa, we follow the movies sometimes, yeah? Now, when we are saved, why does God leave us here? Why are you not beamed up? Why is God does not Tell Jerry, you are saved now. Go in the, that room. I'm going to beam you up. Beam me up, oh God, I'm done. No, God saves us and says, okay, now you have been made new. Your identity changed. You are no longer who you used to be. Now you are my son, you are my daughter. Your sins have been for, for, forgiven. Your sins are gone. You have a new identity now. You have a new responsibility. So we are saved not just to warm the pews, not just to sit here every day, but he says when we are saved, we are Christ's ambassadors. Now, do you know what ambassadors do in foreign land? Do you know that American, the American government, our government, sends Americans to be ambassadors in other foreign lands? I'm, I am a Rwandese, I am also an American. And we are all equal, though I'm not born American, but uh, I'm an American now. By naturalization, of course. By the same right. I have the same right. Because that's what we, God adopts all of us in his kingdom. We all have equal rights. But why do we have ambassadors? So when the American government sends ambassadors to Africa or to other countries, how do they live? What do they do there? When they go there, they don't spend time just eating pizzas and hamburgers and hot dogs. I mean, they do that. But they have the most important job because they represent the United States of America. 
When an ambassador goes to another nation, by the way, you know, where he lives, the residence of the ambassador, where the embassy is built, those plots, those parcels, those grounds, those uh, uh, pieces of land, they actually belong to America. Do you understand that? Now, I'm teaching you now diplomacy and international relations. I will send a bill to Pastor Bob for, for, for paying me to teach you this. <laughs> this is not part of the sermon. No, I'm kidding. This is part of it. See, I'm giving you the picture so that you understand when Paul says we are there for Christ's ambassadors. So it means when the ambassador goes to Rwanda or to Congo or to China, I'm sure they carry the ambassador to Russia. He's, stretching, he's, he's, he's scratching his head because... Russia sometimes is crazy. Yeah, some ambassadors are sent to crazy nations. Their job is to mediate. Their job is to make those countries that are crazy friends. But when they are there, the land where they live, their home, the residency, and their embassy, those pieces of land, they belong to the United States of America, even though they are in a foreign land. As long as the ambassador lives there, as soon as the ambassador or the embassy moves to another place, that land is no longer the United States of America. Where he moves, where they move the embassy, that's where the United States of America is. And so you cannot follow anyone. If anyone commits a crime in that land and he escapes, he runs into the embassy, they will not follow him up because now he's protected by the diplomatic immunity. Because even though he's in a piece of land in Rwanda, but because he's in the embassy or the residence of the ambassador, he or she is in America. Do you understand what I'm saying here? So it means when you are saved, thank you, Amy. Yeah, people should respond to the pastor like Amy, you know. <laughs> it means when you are saved, all what we have, including your car, almost including your dogs, actually. It means everything you have. You are plot, you are land, you are job, you are children. Everything that you have belongs to who? To God. But also you don't have an opinion. Americans have the, Americans like their own opinions. Everybody in America has their own opinion. They call it freedom of speech. Now, when you are an ambassador, you can't say to a nation where you represent your country, oh, this is my opinion. No, the ambassador has no opinion of, him, of, of his own. Whatever he says, whatever he does, they say president, the president of America or the United States of America has said this. They will never say John said this. Because the ambassador represents the president of the nation that sent him. They represent the nation that sent them there. So when Paul says we are there for class ambassadors, it means how we live today, what we do today must represent the one who saved us, the one who sent us here. So we are Christ's ambassadors. We are saved. The reason why we are not beamed up to heaven and we are left here is so that we fulfill our mandate as people have been reconciled. Now, I was on a plane. The British always made a mistake and I have been praying that they make more mistakes like those. They have not made more mistakes, but they made a mistake. I was flying from Nairobi to Dallas through London, and uh, I bought my ticket, you know, uh, my ticket I buy in economy class, so about $1,500, and uh, they made a mistake. They overbooked the plane. When I showed up at the airport in Nairobi, I had no seat in the economy class. 
They looked around, they had sold every seat, including my own seat, and I had paid them my money. And so what they did, they, banked, they pushed me in the first class. Now, the ticket for first class, do you know how much it cost? P- between 8000 and 12000 It's a lot of money. So I went in the first class, I sat, I even didn't know how to sit. Is this a chair, is it a bed or what? You know, a boy from the bush in first class, I was, man, I, could, I was swinging, I started swinging my chair, you know? <laughs> no. And I have been praying that they make the same mistake, but they don't make those mistakes again. But as we sat down, there were few men in those seats, few seats in a big space. And the seat could extend as a bed, you could relax, you could move it around. We could actually move the, the seat to be like a sitting area where we can all talk. Now I got trouble when they began to introduce themselves. So one guy said, I am the ambassador of the United, United Kingdom to Kenya. Another said, I guess I told the f- former uh, minister of uh, internal affairs, uh, George Saitoti, say, I am Saitoti, I am the minister of internal affairs in Kenya and, and security. Another followed, I am the general director of this group. And then my time came, I didn't know what to say. I said, Lord, help me. Am I going to say I'm a preacher? They will throw me out. <laughs> and then uh, I prayed, and then the Spirit said, tell them you are the ambassador. Then I gathered my courage. I said, I am the ambassador of the, of the, of the kingdom. <laughs> now, unfortunately, the ambassador of the United Kingdom was there. So he, he said, which kingdom? <laughs> and then uh, that's when now you pray and it's between you and God. And I say, the kingdom of God. Some almost turned their chairs to the other side. But one of these men continued to ask me questions. In fact, my neighbor who was sitting next to me, and he began to change his order. Because when you, you sit on those seats, immediately they ask, what do you want to eat? What do you want to drink? You, you make the order. I mean, there were like eight kinds of food you want to eat. All kinds of champagne. I was almost saying, you know, I'm a Baptist. Maybe I'm going to taste this champagne, this beer, and this. I will get Dallas in the spirit, you know, when I'm in the spirit. No, no. No, I'm kidding. I'm not saying that. I mean, they had all kinds of wine and drinks and beers and the list. And when I was reading, I, reading them, I said, where's my, my portion? I want to find the water and the soda and the cork. Now, the man next to me, because he said, a priest is near me, the man of God is near me, he changed his orders. He said, Father, you know, some of those guys don't know the difference between a priest, a father, a reverend, and so forth. So he said, Father, I'm sorry, I'm, I need to change because I don't want this things and holy things to pass near you. And in fact, another one told me to tell him about the gospel. So I began to say, you know, I serve God. My, the kingdom that I serve, I serve God. I preach the gospel. And I said to him, you know, my job is to tell people to stop sinning because we are all sinners. He said, no, I'm not a sinner. I told him that is sin. <laughs> to say you are not a sinner, that's sin already. I mean, I began to preach. But at that moment when I was in this condition, I was reminded that my job is not just a mere pastor who is a poor man who cannot afford the chair in the first class. The Lord reminded me, I am an ambassador. I present the king of kings, and therefore I need to speak about him. And I did. So wherever we are, conditions, situations, 
do not change. Whether you are in this city, whether you are in Yardley or in Kigali, Nairobi, on the plain, you are an ambassador of Christ. And so he says, therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. So our job is to implore, is to exhort, is to beg. So he said, we beg you, we exhort you, we implore you, be reconciled. So our job is to make friends of God. Meaning, our job, Mr. Reed and Amy, is to make disciples. To tell people, you are an enemy of God, you are a sinner, your sins are being counted. If you come to Christ, if you accept Christ, your sins, the clock will stop. In fact, the clock will reverse and you will be forgiven. And then you and I, will share the identity. My friends, we exist not for ourselves. We exist for the kingdom of God. And so as men and women who follow Christ, my question for you is, how do you live your life every day? Many of us, we rejoice that we have been reconciled. Yes, indeed, first, our relationship has been changed. We have moved from enmity to friendship. Yes, reconciliation is the objective work of Christ. It is God in Christ who forgives our sins. But many of us, we have uh, forgotten that the result of reconciliation is a new mandate for all of us. You have a mandate. You don't exist here for yourself. So how do you live every day? How is your Christian life? Some of us are just living like, you know, I don't know. We exist here to praise God. We are Christ ambassadors. Our job is to make friends. So you are neighbors, maybe in your home. Maybe you are father, maybe you are son, maybe you are daughter. If they are still enemies of Christ, it is your job to tell them about the gospel of Christ through your life. Maybe not preaching to them every day. Maybe you need to bear the fruits of repentance so that I can see the work of Christ in you. But also we need to make friends, those in Trenton, those in New Jersey, and then we need to make friends of God all over the world. We exist as ambassadors of Christ so that we represent our Father who has reconciled us to himself and through Christ who has forgiven our sins and then he has given us a mandate that son, daughter, I'm not beaming you up because there's a task that you need to do. It's my prayer that each one of us will take this challenge to realize that we are not saved, we are not just reconciled for going to heaven. If that were the case, God will save us and immediately beam us to heaven. No, he saves us and then he sends us to the world to make enemies to become his friends. To tell those people about our father. To bring reconciliation. Those who are enemies and those whose broken relationships are broken. Their relationships with God are broken. We amend the relationships. We bring them in. We implore them. We exhort them. We cry with them. We plead with them. Please be reconciled with God. That is your job. If you are not involved in that kind of job, my, fa- my brother, you have failed. My sister, you have failed. your duty as an ambassador. But it's not too late. Today, you can begin. Maybe if you, are not, uh, you have not been reconciled with God, maybe you are still in the stage of being an enemy of God because you have not embraced Christ. Today, I want to give you the challenge that you make a decision to accept Christ as your personal Savior. Because he died for you. The clock, your clock may still be ticking. Today, you can actually make the clock stop. 
by saying, yes, I accept the sacrifice of Christ. He died for all of us. He died for the whole world, actually. He died so that those who put their faith in him would be saved. The provision is made for everyone, everywhere. That's what Paul says now. Anyone in Christ, everywhere. Behold, a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And this is because of Christ, and therefore we are ambassadors. If we have been changed, we are here to change others. We don't have our own opinion. Wherever you go, you don't have an opinion. Americans, you don't have opinions. Especially if you are Christian. All what you say is what your father says you should say. Don't say this is my opinion as an American, as a male, as a female, as a student, as a poor, as a rich, as a black, white, who to tutsi. No, you have no opinion. Only what your father has sent you to say. And this is my prayer that those of us who have been saved will live out our life in a way that represents Christ. We are making friends of God. So now we can sing. I am a friend of God. Amen? Amen. But I'm not just only a friend of God. I'm making friends. Who of who? Of God. As an ambassador, go out, make friends of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you because reconciliation is your mission. You changed our status from enemies to sons and daughters. We are your friend. You forgave our sins because of the cross. We can come to Christ only through Christ who died for our sins and our sins were forgiven. We thank you because you not just saved us and left us here. You saved us and you gave us a new mandate to go and make friends and represent you wherever we live. Whatever plot, whatever house, whatever cars, whatever jobs, wherever you are, Father, you have made us ambassadors of yours to make friends of yours. As we go out today, Father, help us to make friends of yours. That our life will be about making the friends of God. Calling people, reconcile the world to you. Calling people to have this new identity in you. And Father, may our new identity supersede any other identity in this world. We are no longer white, black, red, yellow, pink. We are not Hutu and Tutsis. We are not rich or poor. We are Christians first. May this identity supersede any other identity that men and women may try to attribute to us. May we live for you, Father, that we may make friends. That, Father, the heaven, the heaven will be populated by those friends that we have made for you. May we lose our opinion, may our words, may our life, may our opinion be the opinion of heavens because we represent you here in our homes, in our families, in our communities, in our villages, across the river and across the ocean. May your will be done in our lives. May you prosper those who seek to honor you because they have been reconciled. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. And you are dismissed. Thank you. Thank you.